Good morning. My name is Bob Burns, and I'm on staff here at Seven Hills Fellowship, and we are currently in a series called Truth and Art, and we have a little slide here for that. And you probably ask yourself, if you, haven't, if you weren't here last week and listened to BP as he spoke on using Picasso as kind of a framework around which he spoke, you'd probably say, why a, a, a series on truth and art? This is a series we've been doing for the last four years, covered numbers of different things, and right now we're looking at the visual arts or painters. And uh, the reason we do this series is because we believe all art points us back to God. Sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's negative. But what we do is we want to look at the, 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 the body of an artist's work and see from that that person's worldview or, pers- or, or perspective on life. You see, art always makes truth claims, and it points us to something bigger or transcendent. It points us to God. So the, these four weeks, this is the second week of a four-week series, we're looking at different visual artists. Now, the, the artist we're going to be looking at this morning is not one that you read about or studied in art history classes, okay? This is a contemporary artist. His name is Mako Makado Fujimura, or as his friends call him, Mako. I don't know Mako personally, but I have friends who are friends of his, and so I figure I can go ahead and call him Mako, okay? Um, but Mako is, is, a, uh, is a contemporary artist. His art is a fusion of traditional Japanese, let's see if I can pronounce this, Nihonga painting. It's a particular style that's centuries old, and, uh, and he has taken that style and has fused it with techniques of Western abstraction. And uh, he has a particular affinity for using stone ground materials such as gold, platinum, silver, and other minerals in his artwork. Uh, we're going to show you a little example of some of his artwork. I'm sorry it doesn't come through and do justice, but you can get a sense of how he uses these various minerals in an abstract form using this Japanese centuries-old form of art. You can show the next one now. Next slide. There we go. You get a little bit more. It's a shame you can't see the nuances in there. There's, there's, there's a lot going on in this artwork, um, but you get a sense of it. The next slide is a little bit less abstract, a little bit more realistic as far as seeing the beauty of that tree. But that gives you just a sense of the way Mako's art functions and works. Um, An art critic uh, named David uh, Glertner uh, made this comment about Mako's work. He said, Fujimara is one of those rare and superior abstract painters whose visual language seems as natural, inevitable, and uncontrived as his own speaking voice. That's beautiful, the way he puts that. His paintings speak of his personality like the surface of a pool expressing the motion of a deep, gliding swimmer. The artist who emerges in these these paintings is a man of spiritual depth and impeccable taste, and the visual language he speaks is enchanting. What we want to do this morning is we want to take a look at Mako, his art and his life, and see how these have fused together in a beautiful way. But first we need to understand a little bit of a background. So you can go to the blank slide there. And let me just tell you a little bit of background on Mako. He was born in Boston when his father was a graduate student at MIT. But they moved back to Japan, and he spent almost all of his childhood years in Japan until his father got a job 
back in the United States, and he returned to the United States as a 13-year-old. Now, just imagine this. Most of his childhood years are spent in Japan. He barely knows English, and he's brought back at, as a 13-year-old in middle school and planted back into public schools in a middle school, hardly knowing how to speak English. Imagine how he must have felt, what the experience was like for him. He struggled a great deal, obviously, with that adjustment. And noticing his struggles, one of very perceptive teacher decided to ask him to do something. She asked him to do a sketch of the famous painting of George Washington crossing the Delaware as part of a history pro- program they were doing. After he finished the sketch, the teacher marveled at the job that he did and took his sketch around the entire school showing the teachers and other students the work that he had done. And that use of art became his capacity to express himself and it eased in his adjustment back into the United States. He continued to go through school and eventually he went to Bucknell University and graduated from there and after getting married, he married his college sweetheart named Judy. Now, there's three fascinating stories that I want to share with you this morning about Mako and his art and how it's impacted him and and formed him. The first story actually forms around a picture that I'll show you here of a bouquet of flowers. Now, this isn't the bouquet that he's going to refer to, but I want you just to stop and think about this and the impact a bouquet of flowers had upon his life. Here's the story. As most newlywed couples, Mako and his wife Judy began their life together with very little things materially. After they got married, they moved to Connecticut, where Judy pursued her master's degree in marriage counseling. Mako taught special education using his art and art therapy and then painted at home. They had a very, very tight budget, and they often had to ration out their food, most of the time cans of tuna just to be able to make it through the week. One evening, Mako was sitting at home by himself waiting for Judy to come back. It was a Thursday night at the end of the week. And he was worried about how they were going to afford the rent and pay for food over the weekend. Their refrigerator was completely empty and they had no cash left. Entering into this anxiety came Judy. And when she walked in, she brought home a bouquet of flowers. And Mako got infuriously upset. How could you think of buying flowers when we can't even eat? He said to her. And his, and, sorry, his wife's reply impacted him now and has impacted him now for over 30 years. This is what she said. We need to feed our souls too. We need to feed our souls, too. Marco said, the irony is that I'm the artist. I'm the one supposedly feeding people's souls. But here I was worrying about tomorrow and the stoic responsibility I felt to make ends meet, to survive. I failed to be the artist. Judy was the artist. She brought home the bouquet. 
He says, I don't remember what we ended up eating that day or for the rest of the month. Probably more tuna fish. But I do remember that particular bouquet of flowers. I painted them. He said, we need to feed our souls too. This, these words still resonate with me today, he says. Here's a question. Was Judy right? Do we as human beings need more than just food and shelter? Do we need beauty in our lives? Mako goes on to say, my own journey, even long after Judy's reminder of a bouquet of flowers, struggled to incorporate the idea of beauty in my art and in my work. I didn't have a conceptual framework to incorporate beauty as a valid premise of contemporary art. He said, my own failure to value beauty and to acknowledge it as a need in my life and in my art led to many, many more struggles. The more I experienced beauty, especially the beauty I was creating in my, through my own hands, the more alienated I felt from it. I didn't have a, a model or a category in which to receive beauty. I didn't have a, a conceptual framework to incorporate beauty as a valid premise of contemporary art. Now, I hope you see the tie-in between what Mako is saying and what you saw last week with Picasso. Picasso didn't have a capacity to grasp beauty outside of the brokenness of our world. No unifying framework to understand the world or his art, Mako says. Now, why is that the case? I'd like to suggest to you that the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 gives an answer to why Mako didn't have this conceptual framework to put beauty and the world together. Paul there says this, What can be known about God is plain to them. To who? To us. What, can, what is known about God is plain to us because God has shown it to us. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. What Paul is saying there is, is that God has given us enough understanding through what he has created. He's shown us his eternal power, his divine nature in this world through the things that have been made. Then why can't we grasp it? Paul goes on to say this. They did not honor God as God or give thanks to him. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Now grasp what Paul's saying here. Everyone needs a conceptual framework to understand this world. But without God, all we can see is the world itself around us. And that world is broken. We can't understand the beginning from the end. Now for Mako, it was his inability to understand beauty and how that could fit into his art. He saw the brokenness of this world and he saw the beauty, but he couldn't reconcile them. Paul says that it was because Mako hadn't factored the God of creation, the God who has demonstrated himself through beauty, 
He hadn't factored that into his framework. And so nothing else made sense to him. Now, for you, it might not be art. But we can make all the money in the world. We can have the greatest family. We can have a wonderful marriage. We can have an amazing house. We can have a fantastic career. But it can still all just be ending in confusion. It can still be disoriented. Why? Because as the novelist Walker Piercy put it, you can make all A's and still flunk life. Why? When we don't honor God as God, we exchange His glory for images, for earthly things. And what we end up is empty. Do you have a conceptual framework that pulls life together? That makes sense out of the world? Let me tell you what happened to Mako in the second story. He says, Years later, I was reading William Blake's last epic poem, Jerusalem. And if you, don't, if you haven't taken English literature, Blake was a, a writer of poetry, but he was also an artist at the turn of the 18th century into the 19th century. And Mako says, there in the poem, Jerusalem, Blake describes the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. He said, for the first time, I saw the beauty of Christ's sacrifice. He said, later I encountered that same beauty reading Luke chapter 4 and Isaiah 61, the verses we looked at this morning in the, at the beginning of the service. Let's look at Luke chapter 4 and again see what happens in that passage. There it says, Jesus came to Nazareth. Whoop, go back and back again. He came to Nazareth, there you go, where he had been brought up. This is his hometown, remember. All of his buddies from school, all the people he's known all of his life. And when he came there, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. This is his home church, okay? And on the Sabbath day, he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written in Isaiah 60, 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. He sent me to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Back in those days, the preachers sat and the people stood. <laughs> and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, today. This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Clearly, Jesus there is addressing the brokenness of the world that Mako was grappling with. The poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. And Jesus had the audacity to say, today, right now, this scripture is being fulfilled, has been fulfilled. 
But that's not all. Michael went back to Isaiah 61, the passage Jesus was quoting from, and he saw that the passage said even more. Because that passage not only spoke of what Jesus was doing in the synagogue, but the passage goes on to talk about what he does through his sacrifice on the cross and what he will do when he eventually returns. In that passage, we see this. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. We read read this before. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, release to the prisoners, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's where Jesus stopped. But look what it goes on to say about his sacrifice and his coming. The day of the vengeance of our God. (coughs) There will be a day when when Jesus makes all things new. But then to comfort all who mourn. To provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of gladness. Instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And of course, the passage, the verse, the phrase that jumped out at Mako was to bestow on them the poor, the needy, the brokenhearted, the captured, the mourning, the grieving, to bestow upon them crowns of beauty. The result of Christ's resurrection is that these people now are called oaks of righteousness. And in these verses, seeing what Christ bestows upon the broken, seeing beauty applied to the broken, the oil of gladness applied to the broken, here Mako found the conceptual framework. Here he discovered that in Christ the brokenness And the beauty of the world come together and are resolved. Friends, it's only in Jesus that we can find the answer to the fragmentation of this world. Jesus not only offers us forgiveness of sin, praise God, and eternal life. He also offers us a way of seeing today that makes sense out of this crazy world. Jesus addresses our brokenness and can give us a crown of beauty and the oil of gladness and a garment of praise instead of despair. He can make us into oaks of righteousness. And that's what Jesus is offering to each one of us this morning. If you don't call yourself a Christian, if you're here this morning exploring the things of Christ, You need to understand this offer is for you. God has brought beauty into the brokenness of this world. And he offers this beauty to you. Wholeness in the brokenness. Through his sacrifice on the cross. Jesus is offering this beauty to you this morning. You may call yourself a Christian. But you may feel as though your life has been all fragmented and confusing. Well, this promise is for you as well. Not to disregard the brokenness of this world, but to see Christ bringing God's beauty into this world and offering hope and giving you a way of seeing that makes sense out of the brokenness. How does it happen? How does it take place? That's the last story. 
Michael began to take his art and to exhibit it in New York City in the mid-1990s. He tells the story when he had an exhibit at the Dillon Art Gallery in Soho. And they asked him to give a talk introducing his art. And he said, when I began to exhibit art in New York City in the 90s, the word beauty was taboo. It was not to be spoken of in public. And even today, he says, the art world resists this word. But he said, I mentioned beauty. I spoke of beauty and also Christ in a room filled with people from the art world. I knew that this was transgressing against what was culturally acceptable for them. But as his follower, I needed to acknowledge Christ's claims, to hold them up in this public sphere as something we can actually test. I wanted to begin to reclaim beauty and to frame it for our time as a gift given to us by our Creator. Thus began my journey to create and present beauty in the harsh and cynical environment of the New York art world. As an artist and as a Christian, Mako says, I find the source and goal of beauty and of responsible action in the biblical understanding of what our lives are for. A proper care for our culture starts with the identification and articulation of brokenness. But it does not stop there. It invites people onward toward beauty, wholeness, and healing. You see, Mako challenges each one of us to a different way of looking at our lives, our work, and our world. It begins by understanding that Christ's sacrifice was made to bring beauty and wholeness into our lives, but it doesn't end there. It means that Christ gives us a new way of seeing the world and understanding how beauty and brokenness come together and are resolved in Him. But Mako also calls us to action, seeing that all of our lives and all of our work are done to invite people into this beauty and this wholeness and this healing. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 3, 17. He says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving glory to God the Father through him. And what does it mean for us? To invite Christ people into Christ's beauty, wholeness, and healing. What does that mean for us? It means that if you're roasting coffee over at Swift and Finch, you're doing it to demonstrate the beauty and the wholeness and the glory of Christ. It means if you are practicing medicine, that you are not just meeting with, with, with patients, to bring them healing, physical healing. But you're representing the hope that's found in Jesus Christ and the beauty that he can provide in this world, even in the brokenness physically. If you're in law, you're not there just to serve your clients. You're there to demonstrate the justice of God in a broken justice system, to see the beauty and the wholeness that Christ brings in the brokenness of a courtroom. If you're involved in insurance, you're not just there to serve 
people in the midst of hurricanes and tornadoes, as important as that is, you are there to represent the Christ of all circumstances, the God who brings wisdom and understanding into the brokenness of those circumstances. If you're an engineer, you're representing the creator who has designed and created the whole world. And on and on and on and on we could go. In what we do and how we do it, we're providing a new way of looking at life and work and the world. Mako shares this. What started out as Judy's care for our souls has blossomed into an effort to extend that care into our home, into churches, and to a vision for the culture at large. He says, I desire to bring bouquets of flowers into a culture bereft of beauty. I desire to bring a bouquets of flowers into a culture bereft of beauty. In our lives, may we experience the beauty of Christ and then may we become the beauty of Christ to a broken world. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for Mako. Thank you for him as a mentor and a teacher taking his art, creating beauty, not disregarding the brokenness, but seeing the Christ who entered that brokenness in order to bring us to wholeness and to bring our culture a substantial vision of what it means to be healed. Help us to do that, Lord, in our work, in our homes, in all the churches of Rome, Georgia. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.